It's showtime. Three hours of conversation, cussing, and a discussing with America's only born and bred Southern liberal talk host. Head on with Bob Kincaid is brought to you each night by Coal River Mountain Watch. Coal River Mountain Watch invites you to become part of the solution, part of a sustainable future, part of the uprising against mountaintop removal. Coal River Mountain Watch, CRMW.net. And now, from high in the hills of beautiful West Bicon, Virginia, here's Bob Kincaid on the Head On Radio Network. Well, howdy. And here we go, off and running on this 22nd day of January 2024. Goodness gracious, there are only nine days left in the month of January. And, uh, well, still plenty of snow on the ground here. We got all the way up into the 40s, though. It's, uh, and I'm not even burning propane right now. It's 69 degrees in the fabulous Horn Studio at the magnificent Kincaid Mansion. It was not that in the bedroom this morning. It was more like 40. Saw my breath. There's just no way to heat that room. But we have a new broadcast week upon us, and I'm excited about that. Drawing ever closer to the 20th anniversary of this little exercise in attempted independent, liberal, progressive, non-commercial broadcasting. Oh, hi. I'm Robin. It's Moran Monday on the horn. And, of course, if you uh, if you would like to participate in the madcap, merry, wacky, zany, real-time real multimedia extravaganza that is the horn chat room in the three hours in which this program is live, Monday through Friday, 5 to 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 2 to 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, all time zones in between, and the great globe, globe round, well, uh, jump right in there at headon.live, click on chat room, and you'll be immediately greeted by the early arrivers, the folks who got here before the Tardy Bell, and that would be Ralphs and Squeaky and Theo. And, of course, capably moderated by Horn Chief uh, Agronomist, Chief Mathematician, Bud Trimmer Emeritus, and Zimmergist Extraordinaire, Roger, in Oregon. And, uh, well, a good time will be had by all. Yes. Every program here at the Horn begins with gratitude. And this program is no different. As a consequence, we have thanks to send out to our 22nd, 21st, and 20th day of the month subscribers. That means thank you, thank you so kindly to Colin. And thanks to Felicia, formerly of Nebraska, now of the greater San Diego area. Thank you, Felicia. Thank you to Tracy, somewhere out on the mean streets of Los Angeles. Thanks as well to Armand and Ralphs 
and Reverbo, and Dr. John in New Mexico, and Vincent. Thank you all for being partial sponsors of this program. Where do we stand? Well, uh, the fundraising goal we we knocked down it. We knocked down a sizable chunk uh, on uh, Friday on the front porch. Thanks very kindly to all who helped with that. And well, the fundraising goal is at one thousand twenty-five dollars. And frankly, dealing with everything I have to deal with here, we it's rather urgent that we knock a bunch of that out because I've got to. I got to make Appalachian Power happy. It seems like no matter how much money I send them, they want more, 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 more. It was a lot more fun when the Andrea True connection was singing that during the disco era. Somehow, this isn't that. So this being more in Monday, well, uh, hopefully we will uh, take a bite out of that and not goose egg today because. Wednesday's got a real drop-dead feeling about it, and because, see, the overnight low is going to rise above freezing for two or three days, and the merciless, uh, the, the, the merciless souls at AEP will, uh, will be coming and <sighs> cutting things off in all possibility. I, on the other hand, will be on the road. On Wednesday, I have to get up crazy early because uh, the maggot legislature down in Charleston is taking public comment on their book banning bill. Again, they're obsessed with obscenity. Yeah, obscenity. And of course, uh, the. There, there's all, there are already laws that address this issue, but this is just a way to make sure that they try to scrub any reference to any sexuality that isn't white and Christian and straight and in the dark, no lights, from public consciousness. So that's at 830 and after that is over, I'm going to take a little walk over to the Secretary of State's office. And I'm going to uh, go ahead and do what we were discussing a week or so, a couple of weeks ago. I'm going to run for office. The most transphobic, bigoted, homophobic, xenophobic, creepy member, uh, if one of, if not the... Uh, of the West Virginia legislature is vacating his seat here in uh, here in Fayette County, and so it will be an open seat. And I, I ran for it last time. I'm going to run for it this time again. Uh, the creepy the, the creepy bigot is moving is going to move over and probably run unopposed to be a circuit judge. Wasn't much of a lawyer. I can just imagine what kind of a judge he'll make. Are you a Christian? Oh, no. Mm, guilty. Off with her head. <sighs> God. But anyway, that's, that's, that's neither here nor there. I can't do anything about that. But I can, I can, I can try to add my voice to the mix. And uh, toward that end, uh, and this is kind of a big deal, 
as of uh, yesterday, I am, for the first time in my life, and this is really weird to say, not a Democrat. I hope my mom and my dad are not rolling the insides of their graves smooth, spinning at the very thought. And I don't think they will be, are, for a variety of reasons. But I am now a member of the Mountain Party of West Virginia. And the, uh, the, the platform and the pledge that they have... I don't see any difference between that and the FDR Democrats that my parents were and raised me to be. But the important thing here is that a uh, the, the entirely moribund and probably corrupt uh, local Democratic Party... Will not have the will, will not have any power over me. They can't they can't put up a primary candidate against me to keep me from going all the way to November in the general election. That means we get to we get to talk about issues that matter here, not for a mere three months, but for nine, and that's important. So, that's my big news. I presume that I will be back on Wednesday in plenty of time to be on air. I sure don't want to miss. So, you know, fingers crossed. It's supposed to rain. At least it's not supposed to snow. And I'll be leaving here. Let's see, the public hearing is at 8.30. I need to be there at 8. That means I need to leave at about 6.15. Whew, that means get up at 4.45. Yeah, I'll be going to bed early tomorrow night, without a doubt. I'm obsessing over what to wear. But I hope you're as happy about that as I am. Because it felt like a moral imperative. I'm not one to seek the spotlight. That's why this program is not bigger than it is. I'm not good at shameless self-promotion. And in point of fact, I'm actually kind of shy. So, but if if I've got a fighting chance of having any impact whatsoever in the current assault on basic, fundamental, human, and also constitutional rights in this state, then, like I said, it felt like a moral moral imperative. And I'll say the same thing that I said two years ago. If they want to talk trash on people in the halls of Congress or the legislature, 
they need to at least have to look at someone who is among the group that they hope to shit on. Makes sense to me. And so we'll see how it goes. I don't even know if the Democrats are going to field someone in that race. Yet once the word gets out that I'm running, uh, they, they'll probably scrape up somebody. It's really a mess. Um, the, the, the Democratic Party in this state. My heart still aligns with a lot of Democratic principles. But I like the fact that the Mountain Party takes no corporate money, takes, you know, nothing, takes nothing from, you know, fracking corporations or coal companies or, yeah. No. Well, thank you, Gene. Across the pond, Gene's News Ninja Gene says, best of luck to you, Robin. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's going to be a lot of work, um, and I'm going to have to do some fundraising somehow or another. And we'll see how it uh, then you know need um, social media help, all kinds of stuff. We'll see. One nice thing though, I've still got my campaign signs from two years ago. That uh, the Lovely and talented Tara Devlin designed for me. You know, she of Tara Buster. And there's no party affiliation on them. The district number hasn't changed. And so I get to use those all over again. And they were really eye-catching. So we'll start. We'll start getting those out strategically. Strategically. It should be fun. Uh, Steve in New York. Democrats in West Virginia? You can't be a member of a party that doesn't exist. And it scarcely does, Steve. It's one of the, it's one of the, it's not a great riddle or question or anything. But it is a great tragedy that a state is beaten down as this one that was once in many ways a mother church of progressive values has so thoroughly humbled itself and abused itself as to be one of the most maggoty states in the union Um, thank you, anonymous friend. I, I do need to make clear that the fundraising on this program is going to go toward exactly what it always goes toward, keeping this program on the air. It's, the two will remain quite discreet, separate, and distinct. Thank you, Sharon. Thank you so much. Um, we are now down to only $1,000 to go to catch, uh, get caught up with fundraising. And every bit of it helps because every bit of it gets turned around 
and sent to the Appalachian Electric Power Company for the satisfaction of their shareholders. Uh, well, hey, Theo. Subject line, her chapeau will be in the ring. Hi, Robin. Hi, Theo. Bless you and every success to your campaign. For what West Virginia and this whole near comatose country sorely needs. Love you, lady. Love you back, Theo. Thank you. I'm going to do the best I can. And I'm not going to be shy about it. I just saw an email roll across uh, from my fan, friends at Fairness West Virginia. Um, it speaks to the very bill we're going to be speaking out against on Wednesday. For those of you who want to look it up and read it or whatnot, it is HB 4654. Uh, my friends at uh, Fairness WV said that uh, many people are concerned about 4654. I wanted to take a few minutes to explain this bill and what it would do if it's signed into law. And we're going to do this, and then we're going to go into the Moran Monday stuff, because, oh, my Jesus, do we have Moran Monday material. I mean, this is pretty Moranical. I... Book banners, book burners, all those impulses come from the same place. So my friends at Fairness say HB 4654 is really simple to understand. Current law exempts schools, museums, and libraries from facing criminal charges for violating that law, for exposing minors to obscene matter. 4654 removes the exemption for schools, libraries, and museums. But that does not mean that the bill bans LGBTQ plus content. I want to be crystal clear about what this bill does not do. It does not change the definition of what is obscene. It does not label LGBTQ plus people as obscene. It does not say that stories or art about LGBTQ plus people are obscene. This bill, as it's currently written, should not change anything about our schools or the materials teachers can use in class. That's because what, when the law, what the law considers to be obscene matter is really specific. Decades ago, the U.S. Supreme Court issued specific rules about what things can be considered obscene, and those rules match our state law. LGBTQ plus people are not obscene. The stories and books about our lives are not obscene. Nothing in HB 4654 changes that. But I also want to be clear that this is a bad bill. It's clear that some lawmakers want to eliminate any mention of LGBTQ plus people in our schools, museums, and libraries. And although this bill won't accomplish that goal, it could have a serious chilling effect on free speech. Teachers may not understand this bill and decide to cut any mention of LGBTQ plus people from their class in fear of facing criminal charges. It may make them rethink whether their classroom can be a safe space for all students. LGBTQ plus people are not obscene. We are your friends, your neighbors, your colleagues, and yes, even your teachers. And we're not going anywhere. I agree with my friends at Fairness in that regard. The bill should not be read that way. 
the bill will be read that way. This is an attempt to be too cute by half on the part of the tax-exempt religious grifts that line the pockets of the maggot legislatures all over the country. There's no one in the legislature clever enough to come up with this. Not one. Not one. And so they will, as with everything else, use it as a cudgel. And the chilling effect is very real. And the problem with obscenity is the way that the Supreme Court addressed it eons ago now. Uh, Justice Potter Stewart famously writing, I can't tell you what obscenity is, but I know it when I see it. Do you remember the recent, well, not that recent, months ago, story coming out of Florida from that liberal arts college where the principal lost his job? Was it her job? Because some students there saw a photograph of Michelangelo's David with his tiny little dingus on display. I mean, it's not on display. It's not like he's rampant or anything. But he's naked. Yeah, for any number of reasons that Michelangelo may have had. Again, that was deemed uh, by the in, in the don't say gay state to be obscenity. And to the best of my knowledge, those idiot parents got away with it. So the tax-exempt grifts that draft these pieces of legislative awful, O-F-F-A-L, know that they have to choose their words carefully so that the right people will hear the dog whistles. Museums? I, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm not quite as optimistic as my friends at, at Fairness. I do not tr trust a bunch of maggots to create a law and then enforce it in an unbiased, unbigoted manner. So anyway, that's the big news. And uh, at least around here, relative to me. Uh, our anonymous friend sent a message. If you want the horn to survive, you'd better overcome your trepidations about promoting the fundraising and promote fundraising for all it's worth. Well, I do. It's just that it's not much of a program kind anonymous friend if I'm just talking about fundraising between every other, every story. And it gets really annoying real fast. And thank you for the kind words about Little Mocha. 
Thank you so much, kind anonymous internet friend. We spent the weekend sort of grieving and coping. And poor little Lucy. It's, you know, I've I've heard tell. Yeah, I mean, you you know how cruel tomcats can be. When a mama has a litter of kittens, a tomcat will come and kill them thereby throwing Mama back into heat. Well, a few days ago, little Lucy was just fine. But then her adoptive Mama died, and it appears to have thrown her into heat. I don't think it was a coincidence. She wasn't due. And she has done nothing all day Friday, all day Saturday, all night Saturday night, all day Sunday, all night Sunday night, all today. She has done nothing but cry. Oh, God, she has wailed, and some of them sound like, Mom! And it's just crushing. It's like she's singing the dirge of her people. And so we've just spent a lot of time trying to comfort her. I have spent hours this weekend with her nestled in my lap. And it's the most pitiful kind of crying. It's the it, it's like it it, it 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 is a grief that cannot be assuaged. I hope it gets better soon. Then again, I hope we get better soon. Brother Deacon Asa says, no shameless self-promotion, so you're not going to tell us about man crates? Oh, no. Nor nor will there be offers to sell Alabama sex clams or give them away as a premium for a donation. God. Anyway, let's get to it. Because it is more in Monday. And we are not without subject matter. Uh, Nitwit Nero had a, well, not so much a bad weekend. But definitely a weird one. Because, well, uh, Ralph, she wasn't, uh, Mocha was not Lucy Parr's mama, but she was the only mama she ever knew. Uh, she, she could be found every day grooming Lucy, cuddling her. I mean, 
It was sweet. And Lucy treated her like her mama. But like I said, he had a weird weekend. There are, I mean, and bless their hearts. You know, that's one thing I wanted to point out, and we'll get further into it in a little bit. Um. I think we're about to see the Biden campaign uh, team really uh, swing into action. This was good. This Biden ad, by the way, no money has changed hands. This is a, uh, this is just, uh, this is for information purposes, not advertising purposes. But they managed, the Biden team did, to ding Nimrata Haley and Nitwit Nero at the same time. It's pretty brilliant. Last night, Trump is at a rally. You know, Nikki Haley, Nikki Haley, Nikki Haley. And he's going on and on mentioning me multiple times as to why I didn't handle January 6th better. Nikki Haley is in charge of security. We offered her 10,000 people. They don't want to talk about that. I wasn't in office then. They're saying he got confused. You have voter ID to buy a loaf of bread. You have, you have ID to buy a loaf of bread. What? What is? I'm driving over a road where it's almost all paper. And you know, you can see paper. I know paper. I know cans. But all the time now, we see whales washing up on shore. Because of the wind. Uh... Our veterans don't have cell phones, do they? He got confused. He got confused and said he was running against Obama. He never ran against Obama. And we did with Obama. We won an election that everyone said couldn't be won. Obama wants to, he doesn't want to talk about it. Well, you mean President Biden. So, uh... Don't put our country at risk like this. I'm Joe Biden, and I approve this message. It was accompanied in the, uh post on what used to be known as Twitter by a statement from President Biden. I don't agree with Nikki Haley on everything, but we agree on this much. She's not Nancy Pelosi. Oh, that's what the youngins call a sick burn. And it got worse. I don't know if Todd's out there. If you are, Todd, hi. But I feel like every day we get a little closer to Todd's prediction. And, you know, when Mika finally gets around to calling Trump a motherfucker on air, or on any other venue, for that matter, uh, Matt gets a really bougie toaster. we got to figure out what Todd gets if his prediction, his prophecy, turns out to be true. He ain't going to make it. He being mentally ill fascist. The, the line in there, yeah, whales are watching up on the beaches from the wind. And, and, and he glitched there. I don't know if you noticed it in the audio. He glitched from the wind. 
and and he couldn't come up with the word turbines. Wind turbines. He thinks the wind turbines are chopping the whales into chutney. Yeah. But like I said, it got it, it got even weirder this weekend. In New Hampshire, he started going, because I guess he assumes that he can never go wrong with his racist maggot base by doing a little dog whistling. So yesterday, he... took off down a tangent about the name of military installations. In Rochester, New Hampshire, he said, We won world wars out of forts. Fort Benning. Fort this, Fort that. Many forts. They changed the name. We won wars out of these forts. They changed the name. They changed the name of the forts. A lot of people aren't too happy about that. They changed the name of a lot of our forts. We won two world wars out of a lot of these forts, and they changed the name. It's unbelievable. These are quotes. This is what he said in real time Sunday in Rochester, New Hampshire. And, And one of the questions is, Are the maggots self-aware enough to realize that he is slipping badly? Well, you know, he's probably just exhausted. It's very hard being a, a, a presidential candidate. But the one name, and this is where the goddess of irony had her had him firmly in her grasp, the one name he remembered was Fort Penning. Now, why he remembered Fort Benning, I don't know. Maybe because it's in Georgia, with which he is obsessed, where he is facing multiple counts. Yes, Randy Radar. Snow forts. Battle of Bowling Green. But there, but but like I said, the the goddess of irony had him firmly in her grasp when he chose Fort Benning simply because of who whom Henry L. Benning was. And when you find out who Henry L. Benning was, you understand why maybe the son of a Klansman would remember that name. When you find out who Henry L. Benning was, you wonder how in God's name a military installation ever got named for him. It's it's frankly shocking. NPR said he wasn't just a Confederate general, Henry L. Benning, but a virulent white supremacist. By the way, what was Fort Benning is now Fort Moore. 
and Fort Moore is named for Je- Lieutenant General Hal Moore and his wife, Julia Compton Moore, described by Military.com as one of the Army's most influential couples. I'm sure somewhere, Tommy the Tuber is having a connection. Paul Waldman said on the website formerly known as Twitter, Understand that Trump is mad because military facilities named for treasonous white supremacist slavery advocates who waged war against the United States were renamed to honor actual American heroes. That's what he and his audience are pissed about. So then you dig a little deeper and you find out about Henry L. Benning. Oh, dear. I know, Ralph. What the fuck is he talking about? He doesn't know. No one else knows. And he is madder than the March Hare. Yeah, right. Emilio, what is it? I'm driving on a road of paper. So much paper. Paper, paper everywhere. Believe me, I know paper. Snowforts. Yes. So, in the run-up to the Civil War, when Virginia was considering whether to remain a part of the Union or commit treason, Henry L. Benning said, If things go on as they are, It is certain that slavery is to be abolished. By the time the North shall have attained the power, the black race will be in a large majority. Good God, it's the Great Replacement Theory, 1860 style. And then we will have, you can almost hear the pearls being clutched by the ladies in their hoop skirts at the time, if they were allowed in the building. Then we will have black governors... Black legislatures, black juries, black everything. Good gracious sakes alive, this just says he'd be right he'd be right at home in the Republican Party. More and more people are learning about Henry L. Benning. He's becoming more and more popular among the America First MAGA, MAGA movement. Is it to be supposed, Benning continued, that the white race will stand for that? It is not a supposable case. War will break out everywhere like hidden fire from the earth. Hidden fire from the earth? You mean a volcano there, Hank? And it is probable that the white race, being superior in every respect, may push the other back. The white race, being superior in every respect. We will be overpowered and our men will be compelled to wander like vagabonds all over the earth. And as for our women, because there was always the appeal to southern white masculinity. As for our women, the horrors of their state we cannot contemplate in imagination. That is the fate why am I not doing this in a gooey, stupid accent? Well, that is the fate which abolition will bring upon the white race. 
We will be overpowered. And our men... No, we're back to the vagabonds. Yeah. Uh, That is the fate which abolition will bring upon the white race. You know, this reminds me of back when uh, people like Rick Sanctum Sanctorum, uh, Bro Fromex, was predicting that marriage equality would lead to people marrying their dogs. That's how he became known as Rick Man on Dog Santorum. And so shall he ever be. We will be completely exterminated and the land will be left in the possession of the blacks. And then it will go back to a wilderness and become another Africa. Suppose they elevated Charles Sumner to the presidency. Suppose they elevated Fred Douglas, your escaped slave, to the presidency. What would be your position in such an event? I say give me pestilence and famine sooner than that. And that was his speech to the Virginia Convention on February the 18th, 1861. Ah, <sighs> oh, doggone it. You remind, I, I, I saw your reminder too late, Ralphs. So yeah, we should have had the... We should, have, we should have had the Civil War fiddle music going in the back there. Ooh, did I get out of the accent here? But that's the name that Nitwit Nero actually managed to recall. Of course, then there are all the, all the veterans who served their hitches at Fort This. And they always thought they were better than the Veterans who were serving at Fort That. Fort. He's a but the, the, the he's a mess. He can't tell the difference between Nikki Haley and Nancy Pelosi. I mean, Nikki's not going to get invited to Mensa anytime soon. But at least you know. At least she recognizes. That. And, and, I mean, that was kind of a signal moment for, for her. Mrs. Haley actually having the nerve to say that her former god emperor, her former boss as ambassador to Bonomo, I mean the United Nations, is not okay in his head. And I think this pretty much puts paid to the, at least I hope it does, to the notion that Joe Biden is too old. I'm pretty sure Joe Biden doesn't think wind turbines are chopping up whales or that he's riding around on roads of paper. Oh, Lord. And the thing is, he wasn't that much, he wasn't any better when he was Again, in office. Remember the Battle of Bowling Green? Remember the reference to the Revolutionary Era airports? Remember Kofefe? Remember Hamburgers? 
Yeah, you're right, Randy Radar. In your guts, you know he's nuts. And they said that about... Uh, Uh, Lyndon Johnson's opponent in 1964 who got just swamped by LBJ and by comparison he was sane totally, totally, completely and utterly sane I mean, Barry Goldwater even went so far as to inveigh against the religious wackadoodles who make up the Republican Party now. Right, Emilio. Emilio says, even black neighbors? What's next? Black people in our swimming pools and schools? Wake up, sheeple! Wolverines! I know. But I hope this is the end of the Biden is too old trope that the multimillionaire for-profit media have been so thoroughly complicit in spreading. Forts. Our beautiful forts. Like I said, it's a uh, content-rich day. Darlene in Connecticut, Connecticut says, Yet, if you listen to the New Hampshire Repig primary voters that were interviewed by CBS this morning, Trump is a strong candidate. What is wrong with these idiots, Darlene asks. It's wishcraft. It's wish-fulfillment. They have consumed right-wing bullshit media for years and years and years. And they're gullible enough to believe what they see and hear on Fox News TV, Radio Rwanda, or Newsmuck, or Onan, the network that spills its news upon the ground. Because they want to believe all that. And they want to live in a racist America. An America where it's not racist to say all those words they so badly want to say again. And of course, uh, I saw a cartoon, I think maybe Flavio posted it from Tom the Dancing Bug about journalists in New Hampshire. Uh, I need a salt of the I need a salt of the earth hard working conservative please. Oh yeah, she, uh, they're, they're, uh, that that couple's over in the corner right over there. It's almost like the return every four years of the of of, of the world's most annoying reality show. Because the first thing to understand about reality shows is they are no reflection of reality. And so, and and the only, I think the multimillionaire for-profit media catapults this propaganda, to use the language of dim leader, 
They do it just to fill airtime. They do it because it's easy. For a while there, they could pretend that there were seven dwarfs who were vying for second place. And of course, over the weekend, with no fanfare at all, Governor of Florida, Ron Monkey Up DeClantis, suddenly realized, after having been told the same for about a month or so by his inner circle, that he wasn't going to get to be president. He wasn't doing. He wasn't going to be doing no president and what whatsoever. And so, before the vote was even taken in New Hampshire, he made the calculated decision that bowing out now was better than having his ass handed to him by a girl and an orange maniac. And tomorrow, in New Hampshire, and then a week later in South Carolina, Stan, Nimrata Randawa Haley will get her comeuppance. And she will eventually have to bow out. Because the tissue paper thin fraud that this was actually a presidential primary will have been exposed as the fraud that it has been all along. I really do kind of wish that... (sighs) I wish that Chris Christie had stayed in so that he could at least continue to make nitwit Nero bark and grunt some more. But it'll very likely be over tomorrow or in South Carolina. But speaking of the governor of Florida, and I got a note from Wave a little bit ago, Uh, some photographs. The rainbow sticker are two probably lesbians running away from home. It's a uh, rainbow heart, live free, Davis, West Virginia, love. Uh, Davis, West Virginia, in case you don't know, Wave, that's the home of, well, maybe I'm wrong. I'm thinking Blackwater Falls or Canaan Valley. And, uh, and, uh, Wave adds, a mixed race man was unironically wearing Nazi socks. Couldn't figure out if it was an AI error or a right-wing troll. How did you get close enough to get a picture of the man's Nazi socks, Wave? you got to be careful out there, pal. But anyway, speaking of Florida, uh, here's some pro- someone you've probably never heard of. State Senator Ileana Garcia. She is, as noted, a member of the State Senate of Florida. And she's introduced legislation to create the Freedom Fighters Fund. It's going to be, according to the a $5 million fund whose purpose is to pay nitwit Nero's legal bills. Again, these people aren't very good at crafting legislation. This is so 
purely a con as to be hilarious. By the way, the instant that Monkey Up quit, he turned around and endorsed his daddy, Orange Julius Geezer. Now, the purpose of the Florida Freedom Fighters Fund would be to financially support this is this is this is a narrow, a narrow definition. Florida residents running for president who face legal action. Curiously, there's only one person who fits that definition. Recalling, of course, that Geezer Disgustus changed his state of residency from New York to Florida to try to evade at least a portion of his legal liabilities. He claims Magaloco as his residence now. Florida Chief Financial Officer Jimmy Petronas gave a statement uh, to Bloomberg News saying, yeah, if we can help and support a Florida candidate for the White House, that's just good from a dollars and cents perspective. Since when can you use public money to support a single individual? Now, it's interesting to know about Jimmy Petronas that he came to the Florida chief financial officer status after having first been a member of the Florida legislature, he got uh, the CFO job in 2017, and of course he has been he has been engaged in a jihad against wokeness. That's why he pulled BlackRock Incorporated, the hedge fund out of some of the funds in the state because BlackRock, according to its mission statement, takes into consideration a company's environmental, social, and corporate governance policies. And less than an hour after Monkey Up called it quits, (laughs) he endorsed Nitwit Nero. So they would take the money out of the Florida uh, Public Campaign Matching Funds Program and then they would put the money back via voluntary donations and driver's license registrations. Well, I I don't know how big... You know, what is it it on the uh, federal income tax form? Would you like one dollar of your money to go to the president? Right. That is just such very, (laughs) that's such thoroughly shameless fawning and, well, grift. Trump in Florida, Stephen New York says, he may very well declare bankruptcy after the myriad verdicts on the horizon. Florida has an unlimited homestead exemption, so he can keep Mar-a-Lago as his residence. 
Uh, we talked about this previously, Steve. If he's convicted in Georgia under RICO, he can't bankrupt his way out from under a RICO civil uh, civil forfeiture. I don't think he can. If and, and if the if if the Georgia authorities decide to go after it, they can go after anything he's got, in or out of Georgia. I mean, it's kind of how it's kind of how Rico works. Uh, Randy Radar says, uh, "I think the former guy saw a piece on what wind turbines." And is getting them confused, uh, water turbines, and is getting them confused with the wind turbines, and thus the chopped up whales. No, Free Willy, no. But that was an orca, and they're actually not whales, they're a variety of dolphin or porpoise. But the the breath the, the breathtaking corruption of the Florida government wanting to personally back his legal bills is, is shocking. But by the same token, and here is our obligatory Star Trek reference for the evening: What does God need with a starship? What does a billionaire need with five paltry pissant million dollars? It's still got to go through committee and everything, but it, it doesn't, you know, I'm sure they'll line up to declare their loyalty. But considering what uh, Tangerine Tiberius is facing, $5 million is a drop in the bucket. Well, maybe legal bills includes his judgment in the Attorney General of New York's uh, disgorgement trial against him. Well, I only need $375 more million. Again, we're back to Todd. He ain't gonna make it. Uh, $5 million. Isn't that sweet? Yeah, you can just leave the money on the nightstand. And we had a little bit of a win today in the Supreme Court of the United States. Joining with Justices uh, Sotomayor and Kagan and Brown Jackson, Amy Covid Barrett and Old Balls and Strikes Roberts, gave the Biden administration permission to go and remove the razor-wire barbarian barriers placed in and around the Rio Grande by Texas Governor Greg Asbot. Now, bear in mind that Clarence Pubes on the Coke Can, Faffy Thomas, and Sammy Badbreath, and Anne's Boy Neal, and Beer Boofin' Brat all dissented. But in essence, what happened was the Supreme Court vacated 
a fifth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals injunction. That injunction was placed in October and told the President of the United States that he couldn't do his job as the head of the executive branch in maintaining the borders of the United States of America. Uh, Officially, all it said was, the application to vacate injunction presented to Justice Alito and by him referred to the court is granted. The December 19, 2023 order of the United States Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit case is vacated. If you listen very hard, you can probably hear the stomping and cussing, well, just cussing, of Greg Asbot down in Texas. Well, even a blind hog finds an acorn now and then, and I'm glad that Amy COVID Barrett and old balls and strikes uh, actually had some deference to the authority of the President of the United States as head of the executive branch. Now, other things. Because, again, it's more in Monday. Uh, Back down in Georgia, via the Associated Press, Bonnie Willis, Fulton County District Attorney uh, and occupant rent-free of the toxic space between the ears of Nitwit Nero, where the spirochetes shriek each to each, Hi, Joy. Um, Is being embroiled in a divorce case between the one of her special prosecutors and his wife? Among other things. The pettifogger in the divorce case for the estranged wife is seeking to depose Fonnie Willis. That stuff got got shot down today. There's there was a subpoena served to District Attorney Willis, and the court set, uh, uh, unsealed the divorce records. Unsealed the divorce records and then put Fonnie Willis's subpoena on hold, saying that he wanted to see the deposition transcript for the actual parties first. Because for some reason, the former Mrs. Wade thinks that Fonnie Willis has special knowledge of the marital assets? 
foot. And so, um, this is all a fiction created through the machinations of Nitwit Nero and the people around him. Bonnie Willis, by counsel, objected to the subpoena. And uh, this past Thursday, her lawyer said that Jocelyn Wade, uh, the woman scorned, is engaging, has, has served the subpoena in an attempt to harass and damage the professional reputation of Fonnie Willis. Lawyer went on so far as to say that uh, Jocelyn Wade has conspired at, with interested party parties in the criminal election interference case to use the civil discovery process to annoy, embarrass, and oppress the district attorney. Well, at least the judge put that on hold until he gets a chance to see what the actual estranged husband has to say about marital assets. The interesting thing is that not only did Jocelyn Wade's counsel seek to unseal the divorce proceedings, so too did the multimillionaire for-profit media. Because reporting on unfounded, tawdry crap beats the hell out of working any day of the week. Oh, and by the way, I wanted to mention, and, and we have crossed into the second hour of the program. I have no idea how that happened. Sometimes time, time just flies, especially when it's the first program of the new week. But we are in a bit of a spot. Thank you to Sharon for getting us down to only $1,000 to go. If we could knock off 300 of that, that would mean that last Monday was fully funded. Or I'm, I'm sorry, not last Monday. That's Monday, Friday, or Thursday. Yeah, we got to, we took care of Monday. Um, uh, getting another hundred dollars in finishes off last Wednesday. If we did four hundred this evening, we would have last Wednesday and Thursday. And we need new subscribers, more subscribers. If you'd like to help out, run over to HeadOn.Live. The PayPal button is there. You can do it one time or you can make something recurring. Either way is a profound help. And I'm not kidding. I'm scared to death about what happens when the temperature rises above freezing for three days. I mean, it'll be nice not to be really, really cold. But it would be nicer still to be able to send AEP several hundred dollars. And then, well, deal with the rest of the bills. Because it seems like that's all that life is around here.
Over the weekend, of course, it was the 51st anniversary of Roe v. Wade, which, of course, now, thanks to our most puissant dread sovereign Supreme Catholic Majesties, is a dead letter. And anytime we mention Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health, we have to remember the, what was it, the second sentence of the dissenting opinion in that horrific nightmare of a case. From the moment of fertilization, a woman has no rights to speak of. And it's absolutely true. And it's horrifying, and it's had horrifying consequences. And what I said earlier about we will see the Biden team really begin to move into their own and go after Nitwit Nero in earnest. Well, they sent out uh, Vice President. Kamala Harris over the weekend to excoriate Marcus Horalius over the demise of Roe. And she didn't. She didn't mince any words. She was really quite fierce. And she has. She has the needed authenticity to speak on the issue. And so over the weekend, she spoke about the end of Roe. And about how proud Nitwit Nero says he is to have harmed so many women. She was in Wisconsin. The Biden administration is not going to ignore Wisconsin. And she said over the weekend, as we face this crisis, and as we are clear-eyed about the harm, let us also understand who is responsible, shall we? The former president handpicked three Supreme Court justices because he intended for them to overturn Roe. He intended for them to take away your freedoms. And it is a decision he brags about. She said, proud, he's proud, proud that women across our nation are suffering, proud that women have been robbed of a fundamental freedom. 
proud that doctors could be thrown in prison for caring for their patients, that young women today have fewer rights than their mothers and grandmothers? How dare he? And then the Biden campaign released an ad to go with it. Uh, the ad is called Forced. It, feast, it features uh, a Texas OBGYN and mother of three discussing what the end of Roe has meant in shithole states like Texas. I'm an OBGYN in Texas and a mother of three wonderful children. Having this beautiful, messy, chaotic, but wonderful family, it's the joy of my life. I never thought that I would need an abortion for a planned pregnancy, but I did. Two years ago, I became pregnant with a baby I desperately wanted. At a routine ultrasound, I learned that the fetus would have a fatal condition and that there was absolutely no chance of survival. In Texas, you are forced to carry that pregnancy, and that is because of Donald Trump overturning Roe v. Wade. The choice was completely taken away. I was to continue my pregnancy, putting my life at risk. It's every woman's worst nightmare, and it was absolutely unbearable. We need leaders that will protect our rights and not take them away. And that's Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. I'm Joe Biden, and I approve this message. I'm an open. Doesn't get much more profound than that. And then there's Mrs. Cox, who, toward the end of 2023, was denied life-saving abortion care in Texas and had to flee her home in order to not risk her life carrying a baby that was already doomed. That ad, that ad is airing now in uh, Battleground States. It will also air during the season premiere of The Bachelor on ABC. It'll run on HGTV, TLC, Bravo, Hallmark, Food Network, and Oxygen. It ran in battleground states during the NFL Conference Championships yesterday. And, by the way, congratulations to the Lions. Oh, God, they're the, they are, in the words of uh, Carl, the assistant greenskeeper in Caddyshack. The Cinderella story. See, it sounds a lot like Trump. Because my cheesy Trump impression is a mixture of Carl the Assistant Greenskeeper, and I know it pisses Darlene off every time I say it. Hi, Darlene. Bubbles from Trailer Park Boys. Oh, come on. Let's just go knock off a coin star instead. That line? Hell, you can hear Trump saying it, can't you? So the Biden administration understands how profoundly important this issue is to women in America. 
And there's every reason to think that the Biden administration should lean into this because it's been a winning issue in places like Kansas and Ohio, among other places, Virginia, Kentucky Stan. And, and, and the maggots are running away from it. I saw this story, oh, maybe yesterday or the day before. And honestly, when I read the headline, honestly, I guffawed. The story is from The Guardian. And it has to, I've been in D.C. when the March for Life took place. And all of these busloads of wool hats would show up from all over the country to stand around in the cold in Washington, D.C. and blather on about the precious little fetuses. Because they're all fetus fetishists. And so it was that they gathered this weekend in yeah, in D.C. They've already won. They have their victory, but they're still outstanding in the cold. I don't know why they're outstanding in the cold, but they're outstanding in the cold. Yeah, this was the scene. Their, their, their keynote, their highlight speaker for the March for Life which everybody now understands is not a march for life, but is a march for torment, for religious intolerance, for forced compliance with the dictates of a 1,700-year-old religion that has no relevance to reproductive health in the modern era. Uh, their big name at the, at the march today, or yeah, over the weekend, I'm sorry, was Mullah Mike Moses Johnson, the Speaker of the House. No mistake, we will march until abortion is unthinkable. Thousands of abortion rights opponents weathered the snowfall in Washington, D.C. for the annual March for Life. This is from WTVR in Richmond. It's not political as much as it is just human. Several GOP lawmakers turned out to rally after passing two bills this week focusing on unwanted pregnancy and pregnancy centers. House Speaker Mike Johnson of Louisiana shared a personal story with the crowd. I am myself. Well, Mike Johnson shared a personal story with the crowd about the time when he got pregnant or maybe the time when his pornography buddy, his accountability buddy, his, his son, uh, was watching pregnancy porn? I don't know. Tell us, Mullah Moses Mike. Self, a product of an unplanned pregnancy. My parents, who were just teenagers at the time, chose life. And I am very profoundly grateful that they did. Marcher. Oh, how sweet. And then, of course, he turned his back on his daddy when his daddy was involved in a fight of his life against a, against a toxic chemical emplacement 
and an incineration plan there in Cancer Alley in Louisiana, Stan. Mullah, Mike, Mullah Moses Mike Johnson's daddy would go on to die of cancer, having been ignored by his loving son, the product of an unplanned pregnancy. How do you know you weren't a... He's a Christian, y'all. That means he's a liar. He's an evangelical. He's a Southern Baptist. Lying is as easy to him as breathing. He has no idea whether his parents planned him or not. I mean, after all, under the rubric that these maggots operate on, if you're, if you're fucking, you're planning to be pregnant. Because that's the only reason for sexy time, right? In the name of Jesus! headed past the U.S. Capitol to the Supreme Court where justices delivered a victory to the movement in 2022, ending federal abortion rights protections enshrined in Roe v. Wade. The issue is now playing out on the state level with mixed results ranging from all-out bans in 14 states to losses at the ballot boxes in Ohio, Kansas, and Kentucky. Do continue. There we go. In Kentucky. In the next year ahead, we'll be in 16 states. We're coming to a state near you, folks. Even in the snow and frigid cold, marchers tell us nothing. The fetus police is coming after you. We'll be in 16 states. Thing was going to stop them from marching in Washington, D.C. today. I have my foot warmers, my hand warmers. I have four layers on. I think it's very important that the world sees us. Movement organizers also expect the issue to be a rallying cry for Democrats come November. President. Oh, that's precious. There's a little sign. And it's got Mother Teresa and a little blue bird on it. I don't know. Leon Scum may sue them for using the little blue bird because that looks a lot like a Twitter logo. And Mother Teresa is standing next to some little brown boy. And it says, if we accept a mother can kill her own child, how can we tell others not to kill one another? Jesus, the tautologies with these people. Come November, President Biden's re-election campaign has openly stated support for abortion rights. Voting will change a lot of how this plays out um, with years come. You vote on this issue? Absolutely. Vice President Kamala Harris kicks off a Fight for Reproductive Freedoms tour Monday in Wisconsin. Okay, so I, that was all just a setup because there is ah, there's a poll quote from this Guardian story. And it is, it's more in Monday. It's absolutely freaking hilarious. Uh, Emilio says, Mike Johnson, I vow never to get an abortion and you can take that to the bank. Yes, indeedly doodly. You ever bother to think that uh, Mullah Moses Mike Johnson is one porn stash away from just being Ned Flanders without the personality yeah before I get to the poll quote uh, our kind anonymous internet friend uh, said 
I'll kick in 50 bucks if you can bring in 50. And thus, the horn will have only three days unfunded. Thank you, kind anonymous internet friend. So there we have it. It's a challenge without a name, but it's a, it's it's a, it's it's an important challenge. Our kind anonymous internet friend will turn your fifty into a hundred dollars for you. But our kind anonymous internet friend will not do that if somebody doesn't come in with fifty. So thank you again, kind anonymous internet friend. So the Guardian story goes through the basics and how uh, and, and, and they write uh, at the Guardian uh, uh, Carter Sherman writes the march for life has seen what was once its greatest victory become a political liability yeah this is another one of those moments where I was right all along we were right all along I remember all the way back to the beginnings of this of, of, of this program and this network saying that most of the pro-life movement was nothing but transactional performance theater, not even art. That it was just a way to get the, the rubes out from, come crawling out from behind the baseboards every four years to vote in Republican politicians who would then turn around and screw them silly with policies that would absolutely devastate their hanging-by-a-thread middle-class existences. And it's true. I mean, what I, what I was asking all those years ago remains the same. I would say, you know who doesn't want Roe overturned the most? The fetus fetish industry. Because once they do that, they're going to have a hard time getting the weirdos out anymore. And so it was true in this year's March for Life when the crowds weren't anywhere near as large as they had once been because it's over. They won. That's why the blonde lady was standing up there, who, by the way, has enough has enough means that if she ever has a problem pregnancy, she can just go to a civilized state and get that little problem taken care of. You know what I mean? That's why she was... Yeah. Until abortion is unthinkable. You heard that language, right? We won't quit until abortion is unthinkable. What they want what they really want but don't dare say out loud is abortion to be illegal they want doctors to be prosecuted they want women to be prosecuted I'm sure the march for life was perfectly happy to see the woman convicted in Oklahoma and sent to prison perfectly happy to see the woman in Warren, Ohio tormented by a pro-life prosecuting attorney and only rejected by a grand jury that was all that stood between her and a felony but I'm sure the march for life feels like she needs to be doing hard time right? sure 
but they can't say illegal. They used to say illegal. Now they got illegal in 14 states. Women are suffering, and they are losing the pro-life people. And that means their pet Republican politicians don't get to go into office and and, and, and and fuck ordinary working men and women as hard as they possibly can. Because pro-life was always just a it, it was just a fig leaf for trying to create Republican majorities. We know it we know that pro-life is a fraud simply because pro-life politicians never give full-throated support to feeding hungry children, to making sure that children's bellies don't rumble as they go off to bed at night, that they have adequate food when school isn't in session in the summers. In fact, it was the maggots in Congress who refused to extend the EBT program and SNAP benefits that had actually lifted millions of American children out of hunger for the first time ever. But those pro-life politicians were worried about how we're going to pay for it. And so we get to the hilarious poll quote. Because a lot of these people that come on these buses are kids who have never had to deal with an unintended or unplanned pregnancy, who have been to, who have been sent to Christian madrasas and had their poor little brains filled up with theocratic filth, and so it was after hearing the pretty blonde lady who's rich enough to go to California to get her little abortion needs taken care of say that we will not stop until abortion is unthinkable that sounds like the thought police doesn't it well she said that and then uh, then the author of this piece again Carter Sherman at the Guardian spoke to young Elijah Persinger of Fort Wayne Indiana Young Elijah is 19 years old. Young Elijah will never fear for a problem pregnancy. Young Elijah will never worry about an ectopic pregnancy that could kill him because he can't do that. All he can do is stick his little stick his little Hoosier schmeckle in some woman, some girl, and create that hell for her. And so young Elijah, Christian boy, he's a good Christian boy, said, we don't want to just go in and be the bad guys. We want to make people understand and help them understand the science behind things and the logic that we're going by as well. See, that's what happens in these Christian madrasas. They hand poor impressionable little souls like Elijah there a bunch of religious psychobabble And tell him that it's science. We don't want to just go in and be the bad guys. Well, young Elijah, you're already the bad guy. And I'm guessing at 19, 
you're probably trying to fuck for all you're worth. And you may even belong to a religion that won't let you put a little latex thingy on your John Thomas to keep from making a baby. And all of these bus trips are paid for out of the tax-exempt grift that is the pro-life movement. Elijah Persinger couldn't have gotten there by himself, but there was a tax-exempt grift that was willing to charter a bus and drive all through the night so they could stand in the snow and the winds and the freezing cold in Washington, D.C. and worry about the precious little fetuses. Jabus. In young Elijah's case, he took a 12-hour overnight bus ride to attend the March for Life on Friday. And then it was back on the bus the minute they were done. But as Carter Sherman writes, the crowd on Friday seemed relatively sparse. When the U.S. House Speaker, Mike Johnson, stood on a podium to speak, he was met with only muted applause despite being the highest profile attendee for the march. He only got big applause when he said that the Biden administration wants to restrict funding for crisis pregnancy centers. And that's when the assembled fetus fetishists booed. Boo! 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 Crisis pregnancy centers. What a load of shit. What a fraud. What a con. Designed to take terrified pregnant girls, usually girls, young women, and delay them and delay them and delay them until it's too late for them to get help. I mean, I live in one of those banned states. You know, one, of, uh, one, of, one of the organizations that provides abortion care in West Virginia actually opened up a center just across the state line in Maryland. And, of course, abortion will be uh, about 40 to 50 percent of the population of the state of West Virginia lives within easy reach of a bordering state. I'm not one of them. But West Virginians can go to Kentucky, can go to Virginia, can go to Ohio, and go to Maryland, and go to Pennsylvania for abortion care. They should not have to. Because that's still a giant pain and inconvenience. And crisis pregnancy centers should be shut down all across the United States. For, uh, for Among other things, the unauthorized practice of medicine. But the weirdos are still out there. Andy Biggs of Arizona, one of the, uh, one of the, one of the toxic maggots who was deep in January 6th and trying to overturn the Constitution and the governance of the United States of America. This past Thursday, 
introduced a bill in the Congress, in the House, that said that abortion providers shall perform an ultrasound, quote, provide a complete medical description of the ultrasound images, including the size of the embryo and whether there is cardiac activity, and show the images to the mother. Well, there won't be any cardiac images for quite some time because there won't be any heart. And what they call cardiac activity is merely an electrical impulse. Yeah, yeah, this, I tell you what, and, and, and coming straight, well, maybe not straight, but coming from the party of personal liberty and freedom and the government of small, the, the, the party of small government. You know, small enough to fit into an ultrasound wand that gets stuck. Air, because they won't be they won't be content with just the, the the ultrasound that looks like an old you know 60s electric razor that the, the technician uh, runs over the abdomen of the mama. Now I'm sure they'll want a vaginal ultrasound because God they're creeps. Andy Biggs in his press release said. The Biden administration's heinous pro-abortion policies continue to incentivize women to end the lives of innocent, unborn American children. My legislation provides pregnant women a safe and intimate opportunity to rethink their abortion. This subtle but important process can change, potentially save millions of of unborn lives. Defending the right to life remains one of my top prioritized in Congress. And then the check cleared. <sighs> and so, having introduced the bill, representing Matt Rosendale of Montana Stan and Jeff Duncan of South Carolina Stan and Dan Crenshaw of Texas Stan and Barry Miller of Illinois jumped on to co-sponsor it. Keep introducing these bills, Andy, and the rest of you maggots, because I have a feeling, I have a feeling you're going to get hammered into the dirt over them. Uh, the bill does have some uh, saving language. Neither the abortion provider nor the pregnant woman, notice how it's an abortion provider, not the medical facility. Women's reproductive health care centers are medical facilities. Shall be subject to any penalty under this title if the pregnant woman declines to look at the displayed ultrasound images. God, they're dumb. I mean, they're breathtakingly stupid. So that means, well, hey, um, look, uh, We've got some really good music here. Uh, put these earphones on. Okay. And then read the fucking description from the ultrasound. 
uh, you know, we can uh, we, 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 we can turn the tanning bed lights on. Here, put on these really, really dark glasses. It'll keep you from seeing anything. Yeah, I know. It's such an annoying issue, and it's been with us for, good God, five-sixths of my life. They've been grunting and barking and hooting, these miserable freaks. Because, see, I have, I have nothing for, the, for the, the, this, the, these gangs of, the, the, of theocratic thugs. They don't give a good goddamn about the mother or the baby. They care about theocracy. They care about imposing their religious toxicity on everyone else. The First Amendment is for them, but no one else. The First Amendment is to protect religion, not people from having to be subjected to it. Be nice if Andy Biggs could get prosecuted for January 6th. Uh, Angelo writing from the People's Republic of the Bronx. Pro-life my ass. They won't rest until they execute someone for giving an abortion like they did in France in 1946. Since their stance is to eliminate abortions, my stance is in the words of Denis uh, Denis Diderot, strangle the king with the entrails of the last priest. I'm rooting for lions this time, not the ones in Detroit. Oh, you may as well root for those lions too, Angelo. Doggone it, they're the Cinderella story. I know, I'm pissing off the Niners fans. But I love a good Cinderella story. (sighs) But yeah, you're not wrong, Angelo. They're bloodthirsty. They claim to be pro-life, but what they are is actually, you know, pro-death. They're not going to be happy until they start killing women and killing doctors. You know, judicially, instead of relying on people to, like, you know, Bill O'Reilly to say, yell, Tiller the killer, Tiller the killer, Tiller the killer, every night on his old stinking program until somebody takes a sniper rifle and takes out a doctor as he stands in church. Uh, by the way, uh, Randy Radar points out deep red deep red state life expectancy is four and a half years shorter than that of deep blue states. Yeah, so much for pro-life. You'll never hear a maggot in West Virginia talking about the fact that the lifespan of a man in McDowell County, West Virginia, is less than the lifespan of a Guatemalan pa- uh, campesino. And about equal to a man in Haiti. MAGA, y'all. Pro-life. Angelo adds, can't root for the Lions. I'm a Bears fan, which means I don't like football, apparently. Oh, I get that. You are you are among the long-suffering faithful. Um, Christopher... Meet Angelo, Angelo, Christopher. Now you got enough for bridge. 
I got you know I got no I got no dog in this hunt whatsoever. One, it's the NFL, and two, I mean, the Stillers are gone. So, and so are the Packers. Uh, a little bit ago, Flavio said to the Lions, hard to believe this is the same team that just a few years ago went 0-16 during a season. Sometimes that's the best way to build your team. Uh, 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 the football club in Chicago, pay attention. The Bears. And just another, that's about as close to being an egomaniac as I get. But I'm right again. Uh, this is, uh, well, it feels like validation. Former Israeli Prime Minister Ehud Barak gave an interview in which he pretty much called Psycho Bibi Kaskase everything but a child of the Most High. I didn't realize it, but Ehud Barak is the most decorated soldier in Israeli history. And he said, Ehud Barak did, Israel cannot announce victory without destroying the military and the governing capabilities of Hamas. But for Hamas to win, it just needs to survive. And even if Israel kills uh, Yahya Sinwar, the leader of Hamas, they will still survive. The only way out of the conflict is to have an election straight away. And then, with another one of those sick burns, now, Ehud Barak is an old man now, but apparently there's still some fire in the belly. He referred to the little neo-Nazis who prop up the Netanyahu government, namely, uh, uh, what's-his-fuck Ben-Gavir and Beelzebub Smotrich. He refers to them as the Proud Boys. And you know, when you think about it, he's probably right. Little right-wing punks and thugs with criminal records. In the interview, Ehud Barak said, when you look at the Israeli side, there is a vacuum of leadership. And Bibi is rejecting the explicit demand coming from the inner cabinet to come up with an exit strategy and continuing to not consider everything that should have happened three months ago after the attack first took place. If Bibi continues to reject an exit plan, we will find ourselves sinking into the Gazan mud for years to come. And then he cited, Ehud Barak did, David Ben-Gurion, the first prime minister of Israel, 
or Ichak Rabin, and said they both tried to remain in power by putting the best interest of Israel at heart. And then added, Netanyahu does it for a more personal kind of devotion to himself. And talking about uh, Beelzebub Smotrich and what's his fuck Ben Gavir, uh, he's, in addition to referring to them as the Proud Boys, former Prime Minister Barack is apparently paying attention to American media. He said, uh, I compare, and, and again, I just, I read this and it felt like a hell of a lot of validation. I compare them to the Proud Boys in America. Imagine if, in the U.S., one of them had become Secretary to the Treasury and the other put in charge of Homeland Security. It's crazy, but in Israel, that's what happened, and Netanyahu is dependent on them. He is, ooh, hostage to them. Lord, Mr. Barack, stay off small aircraft, and I hope you've got a food taster. Then Barack went on to address the issue of the two-state solution. And said, it isn't that Netanyahu is against the two-state solution, but he has now destroyed any real opportunity to move forward. He cannot because he will lose these Meshuganas, meaning Beelzebub Smotrich and what's-his-fuck Ben Gavir. He'll he'll lose these Meshuganas. That, that word, by the way, in case you... Yiddish for crazy people. He then went on to say that that the Israeli government missed the boat, that the hostages were the priority, not waging a war. He said if they stop the war for 10, 20, or 30 days, It should not be an obstacle. But he said, people think of a picture of what victory looks like. This is born of the last generation. Before that, you just tried to win. Now you need a victory. He said, it's a little bit of an illusion. However many we kill, they might be killed tomorrow. But Hamas will continue. And ultimately, because apparently Ehud Barak doesn't have the uh, narcissistic egomania of, say, Psycho Baby, he recognizes what's happening to Israel in the eyes of the world. And he said that Israel is losing legitimacy. And he said statesmanship is missing. There is a vacuum in the overall running of the war. We need to do something about it because time is running out. There are two clocks ticking at a different pace. The clock of legitimacy is ticking very fast. The clock of achieving the objective is ticking very slow. It is the basic role of the senior command to make sure these two clocks become senior, synchronized. I don't think you can do that in a world that has Bibi Netanyahu in it, or Beelzebub Smotrich, or what's-his-fuck Ben Gavir, or any of the other neo-Nazis that are in the Israeli cabinet or in those Israeli parties that propel them to power. 
he added that uh, he worries that the U.S. is running out of patience and that Israel needs an election yesterday adding all the polling shows 80% of adults including a majority of his own party see Netanyahu as the man responsible for this whole failure about half expected him to resign immediately after October 7th on that day Netanyahu totally lost the trust of the public I wonder I wonder if this this article's gotten it's from the Telegraph in the UK I mean for what it's worth but I cannot help wondering if this story has made the rounds in the United States and how many people have, who have referred to Ehud Barak as a self-hating Jew. Because this is a blood frenzy. CNN, for instance, CNN... Uh, had this Jake Tapper speaking to a correspondent Jeremy Diamond who had visited the site where the Israeli military desecrated Palestinian graves Today, the Israeli military acknowledged that they rolled into a cemetery, took bodies out of graves as part of what they say is a search for Israeli hostages remains. But as the Israeli military put out that statement, we were completing our investigation into the Israeli military's desecration of cemeteries. And what we found is 16 cemeteries across Gaza damaged or destroyed. I do want to warn our viewers that they may find some of these images disturbing. Don't worry, it's radio. In Gaza, even the dead cannot escape the indignities of war. More than a dozen cemeteries like this one in Jabalia, desecrated by the Israeli military. Gravestones destroyed, soil upturned, tread marks leaving little left for the living to honor their dead. This is that same graveyard before the war. One month later, a series of tread marks can be seen on the northwestern edge. It is no exception. A CNN analysis of videos and satellite imagery found that 16 cemeteries have been damaged or destroyed by the Israeli military since it launched its ground offensive. As Israeli forces pushed deeper into Gaza, they crushed the graves of thousands of Palestinians between November and January. Janina Dill, co-director of Oxford University's Institute for Ethics, Law and Armed Conflict, says destroying graveyards violates international law, except under very limited circumstances. objectives. They are in fact what international law would consider a, an object that is normally dedicated to civilian purposes, like places of worship generally. So this is protected from intentional attack. It can only be intentionally attacked or destroyed if it becomes a military objective. In some cases, like this cemetery in the Shuja'iya refugee camp, Israeli bulldozers turn cemeteries into military outposts, parking armored vehicles behind freshly raised berms. The damage is often deliberate and progressive. Over two weeks in December, the military bulldozed more and more of this cemetery east of Khan Yunus. 
building defensive fortifications. CNN witnessed firsthand the results of Israel's bulldozing of graveyards while embedded with Israeli forces last week. The armored personnel carrier CNN was traveling in drove right through this cemetery in Al Burej on a freshly bulldozed dirt road. And then there's this. Tombs opened at a cemetery in Khan Yunis this week. Bodies removed from their graves. In a statement, the Israeli military acknowledged exhuming bodies from the cemetery as part of its search for the bodies of Israeli hostages. An IDF spokesman could not account for the damage to the 16 cemeteries identified by CNN, but said that in some cases there is no other choice, providing this photo of what it says is a Hamas rocket launcher at a cemetery in Gaza. CNN could not independently verify where it was taken. The spokesman could not account not. for the military posts over graveyards, but said we have a serious obligation to the respect of the dead, and there is no policy to create military posts out of graveyards. In at least one case, the Israeli military appears to have taken pains to maneuver around a graveyard. The Deir el-Balah War Cemetery, which holds the remains of many Christian and Jewish soldiers from World War I, left intact, despite devastation all around. <laughs> At the Al-Tufah Cemetery, a very different picture. Residents say bodies were uprooted by Israeli bulldozers. <laughs> We're currently retrieving the corpses of the martyrs that are present in the cemetery. The occupation forces have run over most of them with their bulldozers, and we've only identified a small number of corpses and martyrs. As for the rest, their identities remain unknown. South Africa cited Israel's destruction of cemeteries as part of its case, arguing Israel is committing genocide in Gaza. Israel denies the allegation, but experts say cemetery destruction could be evidence of Israel's intent. There is huge symbolic meaning to the notion that not even the dead are left in peace. Um, it suggests that disrespect towards the kind of spiritual life of your enemy, their cultural property and heritage. It's an evidence of an animus against your enemy that, that is unhelpful in this context. The Israeli military is still desecrating graves in Gaza. At the Han Yunus Cemetery, where the military they dug up the graves, up the these are the graves. Week, the damage is extensive and all too familiar. Tombs destroyed, shrouded bodies sticking out of the soil, the dead roused from their final rest. And the Israeli military pointed to Hamas using some of these cemeteries for military purposes to uh, justify uh, what we've documented here. But what we're talking about isn't just strikes on these cemeteries. In some cases, it's the bulldozing of entire cemeteries, putting military outposts there, heavy armored vehicles driving right through the graves, uh, showing very little care for the dignity of the dead. It speaks to something far more systematic than what the military acknowledged. Yeah. I guess it does. It definitely does. And I guess Baby is getting ready to declare victory whether he has it or not. Uh, he has recently said, uh, most of Hamas has been destroyed in Gaza. But, take a moment. Oh, hey. Uh, thank you, Sean. Please use this for the challenge. The New Year's flying by. January 2024 is almost in the books. Good luck on your campaign. Sorry about Mocha. Thank you for all of that. Thank you.
<sighs> Thank you so much. So we're half done with the no-name challenge that will finish off funding for last week. Or, or I'm sorry, uh, last Wednesday. So we'll only have Thursday, Friday, and today to go. Sorry, not last week. We've got Thursday and Friday to handle yet. No, I, I, there's something so visceral about the deliberate desecration of these final resting places. It's kind of hard to miss when they uh, manage not to desecrate the graves of Christians and Jews dead in World War II. That might have pissed some people off. I don't know how well they kept the uh, negative publicity out of you know, the attacks on the, some of the most ancient churches in Christendom down. I suspect they didn't entirely. But there was a time, and probably still goes on, when coal companies in southern West Virginia performing mountaintop removal operations would blast away 200-year-old cemeteries if those dead people happened to be on top of a seam of coal. Oh well. No matter how many no, no matter how much law is on the books in this state about don't do that. Did it anyway. And oddly enough, graves are markers of heritage. The history. There's a lot more in cemeteries than, 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 than merely moldering remains. It is a way to erase a culture. It is part and parcel of a genocide. Here in West Virginia, we have been part of a depopulation plan that was put forward in the Oh, late 80s, early 90s. Talked about it before. And it, it, it's, it's to, to look at the document and then look at what, what's happened, it's like, oh, yeah, they did that. In this case, it is not enough to kill all the Gazans. And at this point in time, 1% of the population has been killed... One percent. It's not enough. You have to erase their presence there in days gone by, decades gone by, centuries gone by, because after all, there's no such thing as a Palestinian. It's been said over and over and over again. But what's fascinating, uh, it's just to put a little bow on this, as the second hour of the program, this Moran Monday, comes to an end and the third one begins. 
By the way, this is a conversation program. Uh, I enjoy the interchange of ideas that happen with conversation. I don't nece- not necessarily fond of just sitting here and fill rocks during uh, for three hours. If there's something on your mind, if you've got something you'd like to say, feel free. This is the easiest talk program to to, to talk on in the country. I'm absolutely convinced. Three ways to get in. Area code 304-574-8178. There's also Skype, Robin Kincaid Horn, R-O-B-Y-N-K-I-N-C-A-I-D-H-O-R-N, all one word. Robin Kincaid Horn. And then there's the stress line, named for the uh, magnificent Bill Mr. Stress Miller. And that is 844-843-4676, 844-THE-HORN. Now, the, the, there was a line that Ehud Barak used, and speaking of Psycho Bibi, he said, in the name of God, go. History buffs will recognize that as having a long history in the UK. Uh, it was 1940 when Leo Amory said that to Neville Chamberlain after Neville Chamberlain came back from trying to seek peace. In the name of God, go. But that's not where it ends. Like I said, it's got a long history. And so before uh, before Leo Amory, there were other instances, but more recently there was uh, 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 MP and former cabinet minister David Davis in the UK who stood in the House of Commons and told and looked at Bojo, uh, at, at Bojo the Clown and said, "You have sat here too long for any good you have been doing. In the name of God, go." And then uh, Amory and Chamberlain, depart, I say, and let us have done with you. In the name of God, go. That led to uh, Churchill becoming prime minister. And then there's April the 20th. Curious date, that. 1653, when Cromwell... said, "'Tis not fit that you should sit here any longer. You've sat here too long for any good you have been doing lately. In the name of God, go." And, uh, well, that was after the Civil War that ousted Charles I and set up 
such a vicious democracy that the English people were thrilled to have their monarch finally back and see the end of Oliver Cromwell. That was the Long Parliament, I think, is what they called it. So, in the name of God, go has resonance. in historical context. Oh, and uh, a couple of things. Uh, Ralphs has added a challenge to the attempt to get a little bit caught up. If we get $25 more in on our no-name challenge, that'll finish last Wednesday, and we can get started on Thursday. And Ralph's is offering a $25 challenge for Elise Stefanik, Elsie Stupidnik, deciding to go after her orange god emperor's lawyers. Mary L. Trump dubbing Elsie uh, Stupidnik as the GOP, apart from, apart from Nitwit Nero, Elise Stefanik wins the prize as their party's top gaslighter. Quite an accomplishment, considering the competition. Every lie, Mary Trump writes, is an audition to be Donald's vice president pick. But she gave us a true gift, a lie that backfired spectacularly. The first mistake, she said, was uh, quoting a tweet after hearing that the trial would be delayed by a day. Breaking, the judge in Trump's E. Jean Carroll defamation trial just delayed today's trial till tomorrow, the day of the New Hampshire primary election interference. That was Johnny Maga. So then Elsie Stupidnik said, This is blatant election interference. Joe Biden and his Democrat cronies are the true threats to democracy. Trump 2024. Now here's the problem. Huh. Right. This is, this is, this is, this is, merits a genuine monkey up to Klantis guffaw. Huh? Because Nitwit Nero's own legal team asked for the continuance. And it all turns on a sick juror. And the judge said, look, we can continue short a juror, or we can wait a day. And that's when counsel for the parking garage, <laughs> the genius, Alina Habana Habana Habana, said, uh, oh, Your Honor, I got a fever too. And and I, I just spent some time with my parents, and and they both got the Rona. And even so, she showed up to court 
no mask, and sitting right there breathing all over her orange god emperor, the man whom she hopes to be the future fourth and final Mrs. Trump. Now, I'm saying that, not Mary. And so it was that counsel for the parking garage was the one who, well, asked for the continuance in the first place. Because, see, Elsie Stupidnik desperately wants to be Tangerine Tiberius's VP choice. She did go so far as to try to say, you, we played the clip earlier to, earlier in the program of Nikki Haley, Nikki Haley, Nikki Haley. We offered her 10,000 troops, but whatever. And she didn't want them. And so a reporter asked her in New Hampshire about that. Well, that isn't a mix-up. The reality is... And the reporter said, but Haley wasn't speaker. Nikki Haley is relying on Democrats just like Nancy Pelosi to try to have a desperate showing in New Hampshire. Because that's the other thing that uh, her uh, orange genius has been touting. The, Demo- the Democrats are trying, Nikki Haley is going to try to have Democrats vote for her to, 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 to beat me. And, you know, there's only one problem with that. And apparently, uh, uh, neither neither the dead whales guy, the paper roads guy, knows, nor does an actual sitting member of Congress, that New Hampshire has a closed primary. Republicans can only vote in the Republican primary. Democrats can only vote in the Democratic primary. And they can't get up to that skullduggery that they're so fond of in the Deep South where members of the opposite party go in the uh, vote in the other party's primary to try to select the weakest possible candidate. Thanks for that, Ralphs. And so if we can raise 50 bucks, we will be into funding for this past Thursday. Thank you so much, Ralphs. Uh, Randy Radar says, I've got a new game show that Trump can be a contestant on. Who wants to be a fifth grader? Well, there's the first cowbell of the night. It's for you, Randy Radar. You really think he could hang with the fifth graders intellectually? Emilio, stop that. Three ways to get in, Robin. Stop that. And uh, Lou says uh, it actually goes back to the Cromwellian era. In the name of God, go. Yes, I know. That's that's why you know they they quoted Lou Amory in the Ehud Barak article. Leo Amory, um, and I went, wait a minute, that's got a lot older pedigree than that. And so yeah, it go, it does go back to 1653. And Cromwell. At least one part of my family had already left the Septred Isle by then. 
perhaps on a transportation, one never knows, but landing in Roxbury, Massachusetts in 1635 at the tender age of 16. Uh, Darlene in Connecticut says, the other day I heard Mary Trump in fact state that lawyer for the parking garage wants to be Donald's fourth wife's wife. Ew. Well, hey, Mary. Hey, Mayor. So she said it, did she, Darlene? Hmm. Yeah, I'll be dipped. Oh, and uh, <laughs> I, I messaged Matt earlier today uh, to tell him that I think he's getting closer and closer to that toaster. Because today, on my filthy morning habit, in just one episode of the program... Mika, bless her heart, Mika referred to the maggots as stupid. These stupid people who support Donald Trump. And then an hour later, she referred to maggots as fools. Stupid and fools. I mean, how, how much further... Can she be from Matt winning his toaster? Remember, all she has to do is on air somewhere or in print refer to Donald Trump as a motherfucker, (laughs) assuming that he makes it. Oh, going back to the blonde pro-life lady. Emilio said, no, blonde lady will take a year-long vacation to La Belle France and return sans bébé, baby. Well played. Oh, that's a hilarious graphic, Ralphs. Ralphs sent me a photo of Mickey Mouse at the corner of a house. Sorry, Dr. Seuss. Mickey Mouse at the corner of the house, the yellow brick road beneath his feet, and the house having landed on someone, and all that sticks out from underneath the house is a pair of white boots. You know. Monkey Ups go-go boots. Because he ran away from New Hampshire before he could get humiliated in New Hampshire. That's fun. Hmm. Funny. Thanks, Ralph. Oh, what else? Oh, well. I mean... Nitwit Nero is really in the driver's seat now because, oh, and that had the sting. Oh, that had the sting, Mrs. Haley. Because, well, none other than the junior senator from South Carolina, Stan, went and kissed the ring. Yes, former presidential candidate for about a minute and a half, Tim Scott. Uh, this past Friday in New Hampshire, uh, Tim Scott, the black Republican in the Senate, 
endorsed his orange god emperor like 25 other members of the Senate of the United States have uh, servilely done. The Guardian noting, Scott's endorsement of Trump is a blow to Haley. As governor of South Carolina, she appointed Scott to the Senate in 2012. Ow! Uh, Speaking in New Hampshire on Friday, Scott said, We need a president who understands that the American people are sick and tired about being sick and tired. We need a president our foreign adversaries are afraid of and our allies respect. Well, that lets Nitwit Nero out of the equation pretty damn quick there, Tim. Speaking to Fox News TV Radio Rwanda, after his formal ring kissing. He said, It's time for us to unite our party so that we make sure that the only target we're talking about is firing Joe Biden. Target. How nice. And then, uh, at a rally in South Carolina, where Mrs. Haley will receive her ultimate comeuppance, and humiliation. The misogynist that she once agreed to work for said, Probably not going to choose her as my running mate. She's not presidential timber. I know her very well, believe me. She's not tough enough. She's not smart enough. Okay, we agree for once. And she wasn't respected enough. She cannot do this job. She's not going to be able to deal with President Xi. She's not going to be able to deal with Putin. Well, she's not... She's not the sharpest knife in the toaster. But she's finally beginning to find a little bit of a voice, you know. Drilling him for not knowing the difference between herself and Nancy Pelosi... And she said, uh, Americans aren't stupid to just believe what he says. Oh, Nikki. The reality is, who lost the House for us? Who lost the Senate? Who lost the White House? Donald Trump. Donald Trump. Donald Trump. Nikki Haley will win every single one of those back. Sure you will, hon. And, of course, he's already got uh, we, we Wake Ramalama Ding Dong. And he's got Monkey Ups endorsement now. Ooh, fun. Kevin says, uh, uh, Mary Trump also says she has major dirt on Elise Stefanik, upcoming newsletter. Maybe she plagiarized something at Harvard. You know, she's a she's a Harvard grad. Bula bula. Oh no, that's Yale. As to that toaster, Matt in San Francisco says, I was thinking of getting some chrome polish to keep it pristine. Oh, absolutely. And you know what? For to- the, the soft scrub barkeeper's friend. 
good stuff that. But I, Chrome, Matt, are you sure Chrome? I mean, I think if it gets when it gets to the point where you win this, we want a platinum toaster for you, don't we? I I, I think so. And just because it's Moran Monday, and of course they're Morans. The maggots are having a conniption over a simple statement of decency issued by the Milford Regional Medical Center. For those of us who still remember the pandemic, and actually know that it was a pandemic and not a giant conspiracy from a lab leak. Well, we remember how shitty people behave toward members of the medical community. And there's other reasons people might be shitty. So the, the maggots are hopping up and down and barking and grunting and hooting and bleeding and braying over this. Milford Regional Medical Center is committed to providing exceptional healthcare services to our community with dignity, compassion, and respect. Everyone should expect a safe, caring, and inclusive environment in all our spaces. Our patient and visitor code of conduct helps us meet this goal. Word. Word. I mean, is, is anything there making your liver quiver? Shouldn't that just be a function of common, basic human decency? But no, no, the, the thought police have gotten Milford Man. They're woke! Oh, Mother McCree. But at least we are, by the way, uh, we got past the 19th and we have a stopgap funding extension into March so that we will remain on the precipice. Yeah, that was for the January 19th part of the partial government shutdown. And people are already screeching for the head of Mullah Moses Mike Johnson. Uh, but in the Senate, of course, and they haven't talked about him a lot, but lately, Rand Paul, libertarian ophthalmologist and that thing on his head, uh, offered up an amendment that would prohibit federal assistance to governing entities in the West Bank and Gaza. He lost 50 to 44. The libertarian ophthalmologist said, that kind of barbarism cannot and should not be rewarded with American taxpayer dollars. Now, on the other hand, you know, equipment to bulldoze graveyards, 
I'm sure Rand Paul's just groovy with that. Ben Cardin, who isn't running again, said, Our ally Israel is at war with Hamas terrorists, not at a war with, against the uh, Palestinian people. I mean, yeah, but that's not how it's playing out, is it? I mean, how many active Hamas terrorists were buried? That's what they, they pretend to be dead. We have to dig them up. We have to bulldoze them. But the thing is, when they finally got to the vote in the House... Fully half <sighs> fully half of the maggot party wanted to send the government into shutdown. Because freedom. And then this, out of uh, the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, Reuters, so it's believable, the third United States Circuit Court of Appeals by a two-to-one vote ruled that a Pennsylvania law that prevents 18 to 20-year-olds from carrying firearms in public during a state of emergency. I mean, that's pretty specific, isn't it? It's a law. The law bans 18 to 20-year-olds from carrying firearms in public during a state of emergency. And the Third United States Circuit Court of Appeals said, nope, that's unconstitutional. And they cited the Braun, is it the Braun decision? The Bruin decision? Bruin decision. Out of New York from a couple of summers back as their justification. And it's a, uh, it's a, it's a first time thing because the Third Circuit Court of Appeals is saying the Second Amendment guarantees that an individual can carry a handgun in public for self-defense. And then they used that shitty little rubric from two summers ago and said that any gun law must be consistent with this nation's historical tradition of firearm regulation. Well, our historical tradition of firearm regulation said that you had to check your gun at the door uh, when you when you walked into the when you walked into the saloon in Tombstone. That's what got the Clantons all pissed off in the first place. U.S. Circuit Judge Kent Jordan said. The words, the people, in the Second Amendment presumptively encompass all adult Americans, including 18 to 20-year-olds, and we are aware of no founding-era law that supports disarming people in that age group. Funny how they always see people 
but they never see well-regulated militia. And they certainly never see keep and bear as opposed to the use of the word own. And uh, both Kent Jordan and his fellow traveler, U.S. Circuit Judge D. Brooke Smith, were appointed, of course, by dim leader back during the reign of error. I expect that the government will then, uh, the Pennsylvania government will go on to request an en banc hearing of the full third U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals because this will, as with everything else that touches upon our sacred, holy, precious Second Amendment, yet more sacred, more precious, more holy than human life, certainly those of children in schools, or movie theaters, or shopping centers, or swimming pools, or baseball fields, or just about anywhere, or church. Yeah. Um, it will wind up before our most puissant dread sovereign supreme Catholic majesties. And then God help us. The only dissent came from U.S. Circuit Judge El Felipe Restrepo, appointed by President Obama. Said the Second Amendment doesn't cover individuals under 21. On the other hand, Adam Kraut, no, really, the executive director of the Second Amendment Foundation, said... Today's ruling ensures that these individuals have the ability to defend themselves during a state of emergency. And in fact, Attorney General Michelle Henry uh, of Pennsylvania, uh, her office says that uh, they're considering further appeal. And the thing is, Pennsylvania says that you have to be at least 21 to apply for a license to carry concealed. I guess that's next. Craziness. Well, hey, thank you, Ken. That's so very kind of you. So the no-name challenge has been met, and the first $5 of the uh, uh, Mary Trump challenge, courtesy of Ralph's, has been met. We got 20 more dollars to go on that, so we could actually finish with, we're, okay, we're finished with Wednesday, and we could get $50 into Thursday and get closer to dealing with the constant stress of the dang-on bills. We talked about this a little bit on uh, Friday on the front porch. The DOJ released its report, finally, on the slaughter at Uvalde and said that, among other things, there was a failure 
of leadership, and no one took command. There was no command and control by officers. Even as children were calling and begging for help, The report said that the school's police chief was not exactly on the ball when he tried to negotiate with the killer who had already blasted his way into the classroom with his Second Amendment remedy and then sent other officers to go and please try to find the keys to unlock the classrooms. Oh, that, that's right, that's right. Uh, Emilio says, no, 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 not on bonk. On bong, Roxanne. Yes, absolutely, on bong. The report's 575 pages long. It examines 14,000 data points and documents. Training logs, audio, video, closed-circuit TV, photographs, personal records, and investigative records. 260 interviews by federal investigators of people involved or affected, police officers, elected officials, hospital workers, survivors. It's kind of hard to interview the dead. At his news conference, Attorney General Merrick Garland said, law enforcement response at Robb Elementary School on May 24th and in the hours and days after was a failure that should not have happened. We hope to honor the victims and survivors by working together to try, to try to prevent anything like this from ever happening here or anywhere. Well, that's a lovely sentiment, Mr. Attorney General. But you are paddling upstream on a downstream torrent. Because as long as boys, disaffected boys, disaffected boys who harassed women like the murderer in Uvalde, can just save up their money from working at Wendy's and go and buy an AR-15, then you're going to get more Uvaldes. Because among other things, Texas won't do anything about it either. The DOJ had the common decency to provide the report to the victims' families before they released it officially and publicly. Inside the report, you find the line, the goal is that this report provides answers to those directly impacted while also conveying recommendations and lessons learned to the nation. Well, I wonder what those recommendations are. Some of the lowlights from the report, 11 officers from the Uvalde School District and Uvalde Police Department were on scene in three minutes of the shooter's entry to the school. Five of those initially advanced. Two got hit by shrapnel. The cops made three attempts to go into the classrooms. Uh, the then chief of the Uvalde School Police Department, Pete Arredondo, directed officers at several points to delay making entry into classrooms in favor of searching for keys and clearing other classrooms. Tried to negotiate with the shooter and treated him as a barricaded subject as opposed to another toxic 
angry young male with a gun murdering students. They got things bass backward with, with, with regard to the people who were shot. The dead were put into ambulances and sent to hospitals. The injured, the wounded, the maimed were evacuated in buses. And one adult was put on a walkway on the ground where she died. The Attorney General said this report concludes that had law enforcement agencies followed generally accepted practices and gone right after the shooter to stop him, lives would have been saved and people would have survived. Yeah, they couldn't save lives there, but remember this is the same state that gave us the cop that led to the homicide of Sandra Bland. There are eight chapters in the report. And it notes that law enforcement was useless for conveying information and that the news media became the primary conduit to the victims' families and community. And it more or less damned the lack of open and transparent information from government officials, and by government officials we mean Texas government officials. Garland went on to say responding officers who lost loved ones and still bear the scars deserve better leadership. Our children deserve better than to grow up in a country where an 18-year-old had access to a weapon that belongs on a battlefield, not in a classroom. They went to pains to describe and give some measure of memory to each of the victims. And only 77 minutes went by before finally a team from U.S. Border Patrol took out the homicidal young man. And of course, remember, Greg Asbot lied about it. And for noting all the missteps, there's any any recommendations are more in the way of recommendations for what happened, what to do when it happens again, how not to make another Uvalde. But there's very little in the way of recommendations for making it not happen at all. We got another one coming. There's another one out there. 
There's another disaffected, angry boy saving up his money so that he can finally get the attention he craves and take out the vengeance that burns within him. And I mentioned at the beginning of the program that uh, Jonathan Carl was absolutely flummoxed by just how <clears throat> truly confused Nitwit Nero seemed to be over the weekend. Well, you're right. Jimmy in the Great Northwest said, Uvalde, if that had been a wrong address police raid, there wouldn't be not one pig missing out in the action. Oh, no. Of course not. Consider the story out of Elyria, Ohio last week. Where the cops, in this instance pigs, used a flashbang grenade on a one-year-old baby boy on a ventilator. The, boy, the baby is mercifully alive. Oh, thanks, Lou. I'd like to read that. So, talking to George Snuffleupagus, I mean, truly confused. I guess they feel bad about maybe trying to diagnose dementia, but if you can't, if you can't say, "Gosh, he's displaying signs of dementia, symptoms of dementia." Is it really that inappropriate to mention the fact that his filthy old Klansman daddy died of Alzheimer's? Because it doesn't feel like it should be. John, the New York Times had the right headline this morning on DeSantis' implosion of his campaign. Uh, this is, was a spectacular failure, one of the greatest in all of American politics. I mean, DeSantis, if you go back uh, to about a year ago, was actually beating Donald Trump in several polls. There was a December 22 poll in the New York, in, in the Wall Street Journal that had him up 14 points over Trump. He spent some $150 million, if you count all the money from his super PAC, and he did nothing but go down and down and down. Basically, George, one big factor, he never took the fight to Donald Trump until he was already mortally wounded. Nikki Haley's been edging towards taking the fight towards Donald Trump, two-person race right now, and she's behind in New Hampshire, but even if she... Oh, George, it's not a two-person race. You're a fucking multimillionaire. How can you be that simple? Wait a minute. The two aren't correlative. It is not, 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 not a two-person race. It's a one-person race with a not particularly intelligent woman from South Carolina desperately trying to, uh, to, 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 I don't know, go back and be ambassador to the UN or maybe ambassador to Bonomo this time. Honestly, is, is it when when they say this bilious crap, 
Is it on purpose, or are they just that dim up in their bubble? I don't know. She wins. Tough path going forward. Yeah, but look, New Hampshire voters will go to the polls tomorrow knowing now that it is a one-on-one race, knowing that if Nikki Haley loses, Donald Trump is all but certain to be the Republican nominee. And, and they want all that. All that would stand between Donald Trump getting back into the White House as an 81-year-old Joe Biden. So New Hampshire voters will know oh, that. Oh, fuck off. Polls suggest, even despite that, Trump has a lead, but we will see. You, you, you mentioned Joe Biden, but also a series of court cases that Donald Trump... Yeah, he could. You're right, George. He could wind up in prison. But all that's standing between him going back to the White House is an 81-year-old Joe Biden. You know, I saw a photograph earlier this evening uh, on one of the stories that showed Joseph Robinette Biden III, 81 years old, standing quite confidently on a snowy tarmac. I want to see Nitwit Nero take three steps on snow. And I'll spot him the first two. He'll be on his ass before he gets to the third. Good board. Thomas Facing is going to be in the courtroom today. And out on the campaign trail, we played that clip in Rachel's piece on Friday night. He's been showing more and more confusion in his stump speeches. George, that moment, which, by the way, the Biden campaign has already cut into an ad, is really something. Donald Trump is truly confused about who Nikki Haley is. Thinks somehow that she was in charge of security at the Capitol on January 6th. Clearly confused. Thinks she's Nancy Pelosi. Come on, John Carl. I know you were raised to be a little right-wing flack, but do better. Truly confused. Uh, Randy Radar says, if Trump is an actual threat, then how come people's hair isn't on fire? How come they aren't putting their money where their mouths are? Well, some appear to be. It's not like Joe Biden's hurting for cash. And, of course, it depends on what you mean by people. He is a threat, and the maggots know it, and the maggots like that. They want it. They crave it. It's, it's, it's almost akin to a sexual fetish. They fantasize about all the ugly shit that Nitwit Nero is going to do to the people they don't like, people that are wrong color or love people the wrong way or love the wrong people or dress the wrong way. Ah, Nitwit Nero, their god emperor is going to Take us back to a leave it to Beaver America, where the worst thing you have to deal with is a fawning and obsequious Eddie Haskell. And where everybody can always bully Lumpy. ...her with Nancy Pelosi, but we've seen him confuse uh, Joe Biden with Barack Obama. He thinks that he beat Obama. We saw at one point he talked about how um, Biden was going to get us into World War II. Uh, so there, there has been... 
you know, there, there have been moments, there have been moments, and there have been several moments on the campaign trail uh, where, where he has seemed quite frankly out of it. And in that moment, we should underscore, he's confusing Nikki Haley for Nancy Pelosi as he's telling a lie yeah. about Nancy Pelosi. Yeah, yeah, he's, of course, Nancy Pelosi was Speaker of the House. She was not actually in charge of security, though, <laughs> at the Capitol. And he says that he had offered uh, her troops, which, again, is not true. But regardless, it's not just the lie, it's that he doesn't, he's confused about who Nikki Haley is. The person he's running against. And you can see it in that clip that we played just part of. He says, Nikki Haley, Nikki Haley, Nikki Haley. It's like he's looking to find looking it in his brain word. somewhere. John Carl, thanks very much. Hey, Joe, let me ask you something. I was really taken by your Instagram post over the weekend. Mm. This is very familiar territory oh, yeah. to you. I mean, I first worked in the New Hampshire uh, primary back in 1988 for Michael Dukakis and covered every single New Hampshire primary since uh, the 2000 uh, campaign. But this is a very different New Hampshire primary this time around. Usually you mm. have a gaggle full of candidates on both sides, competitive, uh, competitive primaries on both sides. You really don't uh, this time around. And, by Wednesday morning, we very well could be see the general election face-off, Donald Trump versus Joe Biden. By the Wednesday longest morning. general election of our, of, <laughs> of our lifetime. Right, exactly. You know. That's something. Mm -hmm. Thank you both, gentlemen. Yeah, we could see that. <sighs> Vapid, thy name is Network News. I mean, do you, do, you, do you get why this is so annoying? I know Jonathan, neither Jonathan Carl nor George Snuffleupagus are doctors. They're not psychiatrists. But you don't need to be either one of those to say that a man who is that out of it has no business near the reins of power. Or God knows the nuclear football. Or any power tools. Or small kitchen appliances. Or a yo-yo. I mean, this, look, this program was just getting started during the, 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 the election for and the second term of Dim Leader. And God knows we had our fun. It seemed like every day there was a new stupidity. You know, what we have to find out, what we what we got to find out, is can the can the fish and human beings live together in peace? Right? Let's see here. It, it just as a gentle reminder. Welcome. Yeah, that's the onion farm in Cleveland. It's unacceptable to think that there's any kind of comparison between the behavior of the United States of America and the action of 
Islamic extremists who kill innocent women and children in an understand to, to achieve an objective. Right. Yeah, because yeah, we didn't do that a million times. Our enemies are innovative and resourceful, and so are we. They never stop thinking about new ways to harm our country and our people, and neither do we. I mean, I rest my case. What we what what we what we're worried about is is our children read. Steve reminds us. People are working hard to put food on their children, on their families. But none of that, to be fair, none of that partook. I mean, it. it I remember the way we talked about it. It was the. It was the mental process of a dry drunk. And un, what uh, and 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 uh, an unself-aware drunk. This is different. What we see with Trump, and remember, he claims to be a teetotaler. You know, I never drink. Well, I don't drink Adderall either. I don't use Adderall at all. I don't think you have to be a a psychiatrist or a physician or a neurologist to make the same kind of conclusions. Oh, yes, thank you, Ralphs. Serving as the Horn Ad Hoc Bush Goofy Quotes Research Department. What we need to know is, is our children learning? Yeah. Thank you, Ralphs. Um... What these multimillionaires on ca- on camera should be doing is basically the same kind of conversation that families have about their dotty old great uncle or dotty old grandpa. Because first and foremost comes love. Okay, not with him, but you don't want people to hurt themselves because they're no longer able to live in the world. Uh, Randy Radar, I don't uh, two old draft now we've got two old draft dodgers running for president. I mean, uh, clearly that's Trump. Was it about what is it about Joe Biden that makes you think he's a draft dodger? He was in school. When he got elected to the Senate from Delaware. Oh, no, no. When he got elected Attorney General of Delaware, he couldn't take the oath yet. Neither, I think, because of his age. So I don't think no, no I don't I don't I don't think there's any call, call for referring to Joe Biden as a draft dodger. But anyway, that's the program.
uh, Ralphs said she'll extend her uh, Mary Trump challenge into tomorrow's program. It would be great if she didn't have to. If somebody could respond and we could be uh, we could be fifty dollars into Monday's funding, or uh, I'm sorry, Thursday's Thursday's funding, that'd be fantastic because we will uh, we'll go up by another day tomorrow. So we will be at that point four days unfunded. Thanks, everybody. Told you we told you told you it was a content rich Moran Monday. We don't want to be the bad guys. Oh, you already were, young Elijah Persinger. Little nineteen-year-old fellow, if you like to have sex with girls, eventually you're going to wish she could have an abortion. But anyway, thanks, everybody. Thanks to our Patreon and PayPal subscribers. Thanks for the challenges this evening. Thanks to those of you who responded so very much. Thank you. Thank you, Sean. And thank you, uh, Ken. Thanks so very much. Thanks to our a la carte contributors. Thank you to each and every one of you who shares your precious finite time engaging in this program in whatever manner you so choose. Thanks to our all-volunteer staff. Thank you, Roger, in the chat room. Thank you to our news ninjas. Nice to hear from you, Gene. Thank you, Brother Deacon Asa. Still on the international scene and enjoying some beautiful scenery. Brother Deacon has been sharing some images with me uh, from down where he is in Mexico. And, oh, it's... Gorgeous. It's just gorgeous. Apparently, uh, just a warm and beautiful place to be. Temperatures in the 70s and the like. Puerto Vallarta. They used to do a lot of vacations to Puerto Vallarta on The Price is Right and whatnot, didn't they? You're going on vacation to Puerto Vallarta, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> enjoy your uh, enjoy your remaining time there, Brother Deacon. Thanks for letting me live vicariously through the videos you've sent. Hey, uh, if you if you if you listen via the podcast, pretty please uh, like each podcast episode, and by all means, if you haven't, please subscribe and please know that it really does help when you leave a comment. It increases the visibility of the program on the various platforms. Thanks, John Fox in Australia. Thank you, Ben Birch, WhiteRoseSociety.org. By the way, if you respond to me on Instagram or threads, I can't respond. Or if you say something to me on either of those platforms, I can't respond. I am, for no, re- no reason known to man or beast, or woman, or beast, or non-binary, or beast, unable. I'm in some sort of Instagram threads jail. And I'm perfectly nice there. I don't know what's going on. 
Yeah, it's probably some bigoted troll, but yeah. anyway, I'm not being a snob and not responding, just so you know. Thanks to the hardest working, bravest people I know, the folks at Coal River Mountain Watch, CRMW.net, 20 plus years at the forefront of the struggle for human rights and environmental justice in Appalachia and a proud union shop. Please stay safe. If you haven't already, be part of the only 15% of Americans who actually got their COVID booster. Get your flu shot, get your RSV vaccine, maybe even your pneumonia shot if you're of a certain age. Wear your mask if you're around the maggots. I do when I go to the grocery store. I know where I live. I love I love my, my fellow West Virginians, but I know how they vote. Wash your hands. Don't touch your face. Use your hand sanitizer. Carry it with you. Pocket or purse. Maintain your social distance as best you can. And... Uh, well, if you know who comes towards you, say, uh, Nikki Haley, I see you. That's you. You're Nikki Haley. Nikki Haley. Nikki Haley. Why are these roads covered in paper? Why are these paper roads? Well, avoid orange Julius Geezer like the plague. Because he is. And always, 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 Gina, it's all for you. Love you, Wayne. Later.